Welcome to Beyond NI, Northern Ireland's leading and greatest political podcast. Today we're joined by a very special guest, Matthew O'Toole from the SDLP. Matthew, how are you? I'm good. Hi, 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 hi Jameson and Matthew. Good to, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, before I forget, I will introduce my trusty co-host as always, my one of my best mates, Matthew Spires. Very happy to be here, James, as always. Just happy <laughs> to still be doing well this week. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Look, um, Matthew... This is strange having two mats on. This is the second time we've had this uh, occurrence. <laughs> who, was uh, pre- who was the previous Matthew? It was Matthew Taylor of Pure Mental NI. Oh, right. I've never been very good. Yeah, they're a good crowd. They're a good crowd. But Matt, we normally ask uh, people a nice, wee, easy question to bring us in. Um, Matt, if you would do the honours of asking it. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a question about, you know, what's your favourite piece of media that's kind of from here? Could be like a TV show, movie, poem book just Ooh, you know whatever kind of gets your appeal going from here meaning fast from northern and um, i would say my i'm really glad that's a really good one my favorite piece of culture or media from here uh, maybe i'll correct this later on but it might be it might be uh i'll go for rather than for heaney or hewitt i'll go for a Ooh. bit of um I go for a bit of Brian Friel, actually. I think, okay. um, yeah, I go for for um, for anything by Brian Friel. But but I have to say something because that makes me sound Phil. So I would just say anything by Brian Friel. <laughs> like I don't know any Brian Friel. I'm just saying, dropping his name. Why not something like Faith Healer, which nice. is not directly actually about Northern Ireland or Ireland generally. It's 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 a bit more unspecific. But yeah, yeah, uh, very good. I don't know any deep cuts from a. From Freel, unfortunately, I'm a I'm a fraud. I think <laughs> the best Freel, of course, the, the most I guess enduring Brian Freel line about from translations about Northern Ireland is the and we're seeing unfortunately again this week yeah. is the famous line from translations, which is to remember everything is a form of madness. Yeah. or something to reflect on, eh? Is <laughs> unfortunately it's not a, a, a psychosis that we will that we endures in this place. But anyway, yeah. okay. Right, well, well, we'll crack on with, um, I was going to say slightly more serious questions, but you've turned that into quite a serious one <laughs> just with your answer. So here we go. Um, look, you've been, you recently were co-opted as an MLA in December 2019. And we were just wondering, how's the journey been so far for you? You know, you've came in at, a, at an interesting time, obviously. So we're just wondering, how's the journey been? It's been, um, it's certainly been interesting. Uh, I mean, I I'm, I'm, was very... Uh, sort of privilege to be asked I think you know uh, it was a my background is quite strange for a Northern Ireland politician probably particularly for someone who you know sits for a, a party that designates as nationalist it's particularly strange um, um, I started off as a journalist I then for a long time as a civil servant uh, culminating in working at number 10 I then left mostly because I was frustrated over Brexit and annoyed about what it meant for this place I wrote about that a lot uh, and then was asked to 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 to, to take uh, to consider putting my name forward to take Clare's seat in South Belfast, which I did. So um, I, it, it's been a really interesting journey. Um, I'm uh, I hope I've you know added constructively to politics here and the debate here. Um, obviously, it's been dominated by, in addition to 
Brexit, which is part of, I guess, the big thing in my CV that that, that brought me here in the first place. So it's been dominant, that Brexit has been dominant, but actually COVID has been the most dominant um, feature of my time as an MLA. Um, I, I signed in at the assembly on the 11th of January last year, which was the year, the, the, the same day the institutions restarted. Um, and I think one of the last acts of Robin Newton, who was then the Speaker of the Assembly, was to preside over my uh, signing into the Assembly, and he then uh, departed from the Speakership. Um, but then a couple of months after that, obviously we were in lockdown, and we haven't really yet. We haven't yet. Um, hopefully, we're closer to the end than the beginning, but we haven't yet exited the COVID crisis. So it's been a strange, challenging time. Obviously, it continues to be challenging, but it's been interesting. And there's been, in addition to Brexit and COVID, there've been lots of other things I've been able to engage on. So I've been privileged to be able to do it. You had a you had quite like interesting career in terms of like the journalism. I saw that you even wrote for Politico. Can you have, do you have any kind of like highlights that you, you had during your time as a journalist? Do you think highlights of my time as a journalist? Yeah, I mean, I would say um, uh, whenever I w started out, I was a so I basically started out as a young journalist, as working for a political publishers in London called Dodds, who published various magazines and websites um and and then I, I i so doing that i got to do some some really interesting things i got to um interview some uh uh really interesting people i remember um uh as part of that role um uh interviewing um people like uh like jeffrey high if you remember jeffrey high really old uh politician who was there in the thatcher era um uh, and robin butler who was the cabinet secretary in the 1980s under thatcher and then major um, I got in, so really interesting people to to um, to interview. Laterally, then when I went back to writing, uh, I guess you know being able, I think the the, the broader highlight was being able to um, write. I mean, I wasn't doing it as polemic. I was sort of doing it to try and make people understand the complexity of this place. You know, clearly, I was doing it from the perspective of someone, both as someone who you know came from a broad, well, I suppose what you would broadly term a constitutional nationalist background, but. Um, but that wasn't the sole animating thing behind my writing. It was, I guess, informed part of why I, why I felt Brexit was so disruptive and why I was so frustrated by what was happening when I was a civil servant and working on it. So I brought both the perspective of a kind of Whitehall insider, but also someone from this unique, uh, so, so being able to, to do some of that writing and, and, and get some of that message across was, um, I think, important. And I'm glad I did it places like Politico and the FT and the Guardian or wherever, um, in, in, I guess, in sort of 2018, 19. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I was able to do that. You know, I guess what you what what I have now is the is you, you you know you learn the going from being a civil servant, a journalist to being a civil servant to being a journalist again, then back into then into politics. And obviously, I worked with lots of engaged with lots of politicians as a civil servant. Worked for you know prime ministers and chancellors, etc. And 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 as encountered them as a journalist in a weird way. You have to you realize how different being an actual politician is when you, when you go and not just in northern Ireland, but anywhere but you know you're for example when it comes to social media that's the you know even being a humble backbench mla for you know the third largest party in the northern Ireland assembly i think gave particularly in society this means you, there's an amount of responsibility on you to weigh your words and to speak with caution you're not as you know you're not um uh so that so it's given me that it's been a new perspective Fact, yeah. illustrious, illustrious career so far. If I can get words out, that'd be great. Um, look, you've recently set up an APG on press freedom, and we were sort of wondering what was the motivation behind that. Obviously, you've got the the background of being a journalist, but has there been much support from the other parties as well um, for this APG? 
there has yeah and and i'm really glad to say that we have i think every single party um i think our membership is includes every single party in the uh entire assembly including the the, the small parties uh with the possible exception of jim and the tuv though i don't think jim is uh, i haven't got his active opposition and i'd know it I, i'd know it if i did from, from jim alistair um uh but on the on the sort of of the active members and um We've got a pretty broad spread. Mike Nesbitt, who's obviously a very you know, well-known journalist in this part of the world, was a presented the news for years and very um, well-regarded broadcaster, is the vice chair. Morris Bradley of the DUP, who worked um, in local newspapers for very many decades before he went into politics, um, uh, not, mostly not as, not as a journalist, but, but, but um, on, the, on the printing side, I think, largely, but has lots of expertise. He's involved in it. Um, uh, so we've got we've got a wide range of um, experience and, and and participation. What what kind of the goals and the objectives you'd say of your APG um, overall? So it, it, it's really two part actually. Um, so um, it's the the APG's full title is the All Party Group on Press Freedom and Media Sustainability. Now those are quite distinct issues, but they are, uh, in my view, very closely related. Um, they're also really critical in. Northern Ireland, as they are in other places, but they're both, I think, particularly important here. Uh, and you know, purely from a kind of logistical perspective, it's unlikely that there would be the bandwidth or the energy at Stormont for two different. You know, we're, we're a ninety-member regional assembly, which has its own challenges. So it's not, we're not likely to, to have space for two all-party groups on the media. So we're doing we're, we're kind of riding both horses, but they're important. They're both important horses. One is the press freedom and press safety bit, which is in a sense. Uh, particularly acute, and it's particularly acute today, given we know what happened uh, last night to Kevin Scott, the Belfast Telegraph photographer, who was out doing photojournalism at a um, at a protest um, near an interface and was assaulted and had his equipment broken and a sectarian slur uh, screamed at him. Um, that's a low level. Well, it's not low level for him, of course. It's traumatic and appalling, and it's a, and it's. Um, it's, but it's, I guess, a more immediate and um, sort of raw example of something that journalists face here that they frankly don't face in other parts of uh, the UK or Ireland, which is a real serious um, uh, pressing threat to their safety from doing their job, particularly from either paramilitaries themselves or individuals who feel empowered by paramilitaries, either they feel freed or you know um, licensed by, uh, but but either by paramilitaries or by the, the you know the paramilitary mindset that this is our area and we get to boss around people who are in it. Um, that's you know something that frankly, in terms of these islands, in terms of as I say the UK or Ireland, that's unique in Northern Ireland. We know about Patricia people like Patricia Devlin uh, and many other uh, journalists who faced. Um, uh, who faced threats from the Southeast Centrum UDA are probably the most garish uh, example of this because they're unapologetic and public and the threats they make to journalists. But it happens with other loyalist and Republican groups uh, who feel basically a degree of impunity um, in terms of making threats. We know, of course, we're, we're coming up to the second anniversary of the killing of uh, Lyra McKee, who was a journalist who was... Um, uh, if not sought out for, as it were, to be killed because she was a journalist, she was a journalist killed uh, while doing, uh, what, what, you know, while observing and witnessing and, and, and doing her, in a sense, doing her job or doing part of her job. 
So the basic point is that this is the most unsafe place in these islands and one of the most unsafe places in Western Europe to be a journalist right now. Um, that's not a situation that we can tolerate in a society that aspires to be, uh, if not a completely uh, normal liberal democracy, given some of the issues we have, then a lot closer to it than we are now. It's, you know, journalists being not just threatened, but physically assaulted as they were, as one was last night, is not something we can accept in this society and it's not something we should tolerate. So part of what we need to do is to stand up for it at every level. Um, uh, part of that is including holding the police to account for how they deal with these issues, how they engage with journalists, what they're doing with these, uh, in terms of holding these paramilitary groups uh, who are particularly making the threats to account. So that's the first part, that I guess, that the, the press freedom and press safety part. We had a meeting with the chief constable a couple of weeks ago um, on this, and we'll be following up with him on, on some of these issues. And um, the developments the last couple of days will, of course, be part of those conversations. And there have been some progress that the PSNI definitely have actions in place to try and improve some of these issues. But these are really, really serious issues. The other bit is, is the media sustainability piece. Now, they link together by a, a really important thread, which is the importance of a free and healthy media to making a, um, a, a you know a, a functioning democracy healthy liberal plural democracy work uh, no healthy liberal plural democracy can work without a healthy functioning free press i.e without journalists who are out there to cover what happens meaning literally that and, and it's not just about the high or quite often low political theater and name calling at Stormont. it's about what happens in council chambers it's about planning committees in balamina or oma being covered by journalists, it's about courthouses, magistrates courts in Derry or Newton Ards, um, not just being kind of completely, you know, stuff just happening completely under the radar of anyone, um, of any, you know, anyone who's, who's there to report it. There's a bit of a, um, a sort of if a tree falls in the wood and, and does it really happen if it's not there, if not just corruption, but if, you know, stuff that is of public interest and important to citizens to know is happening and there is no one there to report it, then slowly by accretion, I think what happens is that the public realm is damaged and people in positions of power, frankly, you know, have fewer consequences to worry about. There is one less accountability mechanism for people. That is a really dangerous situation to get into. And that isn't Northern Ireland specific. That's a problem for, um, uh, for, for democracies everywhere because um, uh, what has happened is that um, the news industry has um, unfortunately entered a period of crisis because of um, the you know big tech um, cannibalizing their revenue sources. Uh, that means that it's much harder to for companies to generate revenue from producing newspapers or or other forms of of news media. So we need to think of ways to make that more sustainable because we can't tolerate it completely dying out. Uh, we were able. I, I put out a an initial action plan. For our party last spring that got some attention and it caught the attention of police to say of ministers and the finance department did provide added support for publishers uh, via rates targeted rates relief and also um uh, additional advertising for local newspapers for example you know newspapers like um like the morn observer i think also the county down spectator as well they're the same group actually uh, and one or two others, essentially some of them had to furlough themselves because they couldn't afford to produce the newspaper for, 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 for significant periods of time. Uh, 
they've come back, but there's still huge issues. You know, we don't know, for example, what will happen with a lot of the advertising that existed for those titles. Um, you know, lots of businesses who would have advertised restaurants, local independent retailers, etc. We don't know what they're if they're going to have an advertising budget when they come back. We hope they do. All of these things mean that it's important that we look at these issues and we come up hopefully with some uh, suggested policies. So that's why we've got a call for evidence out at the minute and, and we're going to hopefully make some recommendations in the coming weeks. Do you think um, social media helps or hinders local media here? Uh, I mean, that's a very big question. I think social media uh, is multi-part in the sense that social media, if it's pro you know properly signposted and verified, um, social media can direct people to you know, useful information. To give you an example, I Darren Marshall, who's a BBC political producer, I don't think it's actually Darren's day job. He produces um, things like The View, uh, a, a very able guy who's, who's a news producer, uh, or is a political show producer. But every day after two o'clock, Darren tweets the um, case, the, the COVID case numbers and deaths here. Uh, and, then, and then he follows it up with all their data and then he'll do an update saying these are the numbers across the island and these are the numbers across the UK. I, 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 usually after two o'clock, I'll go to Darren because it's a really useful, quick, he presents the information very well on social media. That's an example of a trained journalist who uh, is using social media to provide clearly, uh, you know, well-communicated and um, verified information to the public uh, using uh, you know using social media, that's good. And there are lots of other ways in which social media can be um, can be uh, can be extremely uh, useful. Uh, there is, however, there are a couple of challenges. One, um, and, and it's worth just saying, you know, the Northern Ireland Assembly will not be able to tackle all of these issues. They're, they're pretty big. We're a minnow in legislative terms, and it's also worth saying that. The, the law around communications is, is reserved to Westminster. Most of it is reserved to Westminster. So, um, you know, we wouldn't have legislative competence if I if we tried to introduce a, a bill on, on some of these things. Um, but uh, to, just to tackle a couple of the, the damaging things, one, the proliferation of misinformation and also trolling, bullying, all of that awful stuff that we know happens just completely pollutes the well of information and devalues journalism. And then a second, uh, and, and um, a second challenge um, is uh, possibly an even bigger challenge is just the revenue point. Is the fact that what's happened uh, over the last fifteen years really is that advertising revenue has migrated. Eyeballs, people's attention has migrated online. From online, it's then migrated to these big social media platforms, Facebook, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Etc. They hoover up a high proportion of ad revenue, even when people are linking through using news content to, even when they're they're using they're getting to news content, whether they're getting to a Guardian article or an Irish Times article or a Down Recorder article through Facebook, the tech company is hoovering up a very large proportion of that revenue. So th th even when the ad is a local, you know furniture company who is taking out a targeted ad, ultimately, whether it's via Google or Facebook, the local title is getting pennies on what they would have been getting traditionally. So that means the big tech basically is, as I say, they're hoovering up and benefiting from the content because a lot of what drives, still today drives traffic on these social media platforms is uh, is uh, properly produced journalism, but 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 they're not, give, the, the ad revenue is not being fairly split up. Now, 
much as I wish it were so I Facebook and the you know the mighty giants of um Palo Alto and uh and Silicon Valley are not I don't think awaiting for the Northern Ireland Assembly or party group to uh to to issue its denunciations but um you know that doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking at it and trying to find some you know some mitigations and solutions but those are really the big challenges so I, I, I guess that the answer is social media is good and bad but probably I'm afraid more uh, bad than good for um, uh, not just for 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 as it were news media the media organizations themselves but the actual thing that we're interested in which is the pub the output the public good information accurate information being available for citizens to make um, decisions yeah I mean you never know maybe maybe Zuckerberg falls beyond denial on Instagram you never know <laughs> uh he, he could well do yeah I, I mean, well do. Uh, yeah uh do, do you think that um do you think that northern Ireland has like a i mean it's hard to say objective whenever you come to media but do you think it has like an objectively good level of media of a press freedom apologize and do you think it's kind of do you think it's going on an upwards or downwards kind of trend if you look at it in the past like decade or so i would say i, I don't think you could say anything other than it's gone in a downward trajectory to be honest because yeah. As I said, the the you know the issues around some of these organisations feeling they have um, um, free reign, free reign exactly to to threaten journalists. I mean that that is um, you know in a strange way going back. Now this is anecdotal, but if you go back to the nineteen eighties, you know some of these groups were um, sometimes quite sophisticated in how they used the media. Bluntly, now there were always issues around journalists being safe from certain organisations, but the organisations were also uh, evil, evil, you know, kind of, though their deeds were, they sought, uh, saw a degree of self-interest in briefing journalists about what their aims were and their strategies. Um, I'm in no way, by the way, um, uh, you know, um, saying that these were good people, um, but you know, they saw a degree of um, self-interest. Now, in a sense, what's happened is that these um, legacy organizations are, uh, you know, so um, uh, detached from um, uh, from the, um, you know, any framework of, um, you know, wanting to engage with the media that they just think they can issue threats and bandy around um, uh, death threats, and and uh, and and it's and, and it's got worse. So as I say, it was always a dangerous place to be a journalist because of the troubles. Um, albeit that there was a time, probably when even uh, some of these um, uh, sinister, you know, murdering organisations uh, were willing to uh, brief journalists. Now we've got a situation where the remnants of these organizations which are now basically crack you know criminal gangs see it in their interest to just you know to basically get journalists out of the way or intimidate journalists who are trying to uncover what they're doing um because their crime gangs are dealing drugs and oppressing communities and 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 the journalists are trying to hold them to account matt i understand uh, we're living it for time with you tonight uh, but thank you very much for coming but i was wondering if we can maybe have like one last topic of conversation around yeah. is press freedom the same as freedom of speech and what i mean is that if we're allowed to publish anything do we then arguably delve into the category of giving harmful voices a rise or being allowed to be promoted i was mean, just wondering what 
what those two ideas have in common or maybe not so much in common? Yeah, I think that's, I mean, this is like obviously one of the, the, the permanent dilemmas in any free society. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's an, and it's, it, it is an, an important question of policy and philosophy. Um, what does freedom of speech mean? Um, uh, the U.S. This is one of the, of course, the the most um, constantly uh, debated and litigated issues in U.S. jurisprudence. Um, I, you know, personally, I'm I, I'm not a uh, I believe very strongly in in free speech. Um, I believe even more strongly uh, in uh, free press, and they aren't quite the same thing. You know, there has never been really in any society um, a uh, and isn't now any totally you know legally robust freedom of speech like unrestrained freedom of speech and um it's a bit naive to imagine that there is or could be because obviously in that and we're you know we're seeing the artwork in a sense a lot of social media is a fairly radical experiment of completely unrestrained speech um you know there have always been legal parameters around or have been you know since my in the in the era of mass communication there have largely been uh, restrictions on speech in terms of um, uh, defamation, libel, um, uh, you know, uh, incitement, and, uh, and and sadly, Northern Ireland, we still have a blasphemy law. Other more developed places have gotten rid of their blasphemy law, but even in Northern Ireland, we still have a blasphemy law. That's one, obviously, restriction that I would uh, very much be in favour of removing. Um, so, um, you know, freedom of speech is really important, and obviously there's another ongoing debate about um, you know, what's happening on campuses and people are getting, you know, allegations or suggestions that people feel that speech is being uh, restricted in, 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 on, on social questions. I'm not so convinced about some of those claims, to be honest. I think a lot of that is a, is a sort of slightly daft culture war that's got up to, to, um, to, to that, that is in itself a kind of, um, a kind of policing of, uh, of, of speech and of, and of, and of, and of, and of free debate. And, uh, you know, but, but but I suppose as I said, to me in a in a proper society in a properly functioning liberal democracy, a freedom of the press, because those the press should be properly, uh, you know, a, a press which is um, properly, uh, you know, held to account uh, both by its readers and by some form of regulation, you know, um, uh, a, a, including, uh, you know, legal parameters is. Uh, is more important, or is as at least as important the, uh, as um, as you know the theoretical total freedom of speech in all circumstances to say what you like. That's kind of a convoluted answer, um, and I don't, I'm not sure if I've completely answered your questions, your question, James. But I suppose what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, freedom of speech is completely critical and absolute in a liberal democracy, though there have always been limitations on freedom of speech in practice. Um, uh, but but possibly even more critical in a society like Northern Ireland is proper freedom of the press because um, because we're losing that at the minute. I don't think that answer was convoluted at all. It's a lot to fit in in a very short amount of time, so don't be worrying. Look, I, Matt, do you have any last questions you would like to ask? Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to keep uh, Matt any longer than he has to, <laughs> he has to be. I know he's got deadlines to to get around to. So the busy life of politicians here. Hey ho. Yeah. Look, yeah. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to right, talk guys. to us. We'll definitely do this again so sometime. Find it really thank interesting. You guys, we appreciate your time, and 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 um, and James, I hope you we have you, you better days ahead, and and, and things uh, we well better days for all of us. But yeah, take care. It's really nice to talk to you guys. Thank you for your Me time. Too. It's great. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.